Good morning, it's April 28th, 2020, and to another uh, episode of For Such a Time as This, this episode is called Your Turn. This is totally to the unsaved, who are scratching their head wondering what's going on around here. And so I don't want saints to feel like, oh, I don't think that way. I don't think, because this is not to you, this is to the unsaved. So you can kind of say, I'm, I'm witnessing through a podcast. <clears throat> so once again, it's called Your Turn. Now, in this episode, it's going to be a turnaround from trying to explain why a person should be on the Lord's side to having them examine what they believe in and why they won't give their life to Christ. So there's going to be questions throughout as well as some common sense remarks. Okay, so let's get started. Once again, this is the ones who don't know Christ. They haven't made the Lord their Savior. They're not thinking about, you know, I don't want to use the word religion, but they're not thinking about spiritual things. Here's the first question. Do you believe you were created by a god? Or do you believe you came from monkeys? It takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. Just remember that. Now, in regards to that question, maybe you're on the fence because you don't know what to believe. Well, let me kind of explain something I call a a bosman of the gray. When you're on the fence, that area of gray, because that's what it is, is disappearing in the world. In other words, you can't stay neutral like like the country Switzerland. You can't stay neutral and say, I don't have an opinion on that. I don't know what to think about that. I haven't given that much thought, or I have given much thought, but I still don't have an opinion on that. For example, things like abortion or gay rights, or LGBTQI plus rights. And so somebody asked you a question, you said, well, I really don't know about that. I guess it's okay, it might not be okay, I don't know. That area of gray is disappearing. That's why we call it the abolishment. It's coming to a point, it is at the point where you have to pick a side. You think I'm being on the Lord's side or you're on the world side. Because that, that area grab of I don't know and I have no opinion, that area is disappearing. Because people are feeling like, especially, I hate to say it, but younger people who want to see a change, nothing wrong with wanting to see a change, but they're feeling like if you're not on my side, you hate me. If you're not on my side, you're not woke. If you're not on my side, you're not with it. If you're not on my side, so it's almost like you have to think their way or else. And that's that's for you're not supposed to force anybody to think a certain way. So that area where you want to stay and say, I really, if I stay in the middle, then it can't bother me. Ha, that's a lie. It's not that's a lie. So it's, it's coming to a point where you you're gonna have to make a decision, and it's gonna it might be the wrong one. <clears throat> Another question: Do you think the following things are okay? I mentioned some of them already. Do you think the following things are okay? Like abortion, homosexuality, 
taken the Ten Commandments down from where they may be located. Forbidding Christians, I hate that word, forbidding followers of Christ from gathering and having open prayer, but allowing Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and any others to do the same. If yes, why? Why do you think that's okay? It's okay not to let Christians do it, but you can let everybody else do it. So once again, do you think these following things are okay? Abortion? Homosexuality? Taking the Ten Commandments down from wherever they may be located? Because the Ten Commandments have been up in a lot of places before a lot of people were even born. You know, the courthouses and things like that, they were, they were there. And forbidding followers of Christ from gathering and having open prayer but allowing Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, and others to do the same. <clears throat> All right, another one. Do you think conservatives or liberals are going to solve the world's problems or even the United States' problems? Hope not. Don't put your faith in man or woman. You'd be sadly disappointed. So do you think conservatives or liberals are going to solve the world's problems or even the United States problems. Next one. What is it about most followers of Christ that you can't stand? Is it hypocrisy? <clears throat> is it that they're too judgmental? Is it that some pastors always seem to be after your money? Is it that when you hear Bible stories you think they're far-fetched? Is that you think followers of Christ follow God who is always angry, mean, and murderous? Is that you don't like that they say that Jesus is the only way? Or is it all the above? Well, let's try to put those babies to rest forever, okay? Number one, hypocrisy. Now, I'm going <clears> to <throat> read from the Bible because that's, that's where the answers are. Job chapter 15, verse 34. From the King James and also the NASB. First the King James. <clears throat> For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. Now the NASB. For the company of the godless is barren, and the fire consumes the tents of the corrupt. Now that sounds kind of deep. But as you can see, here the hypocrites are described as godless. Now, no one can stay a hypocrite and live with Jesus. And the word hypocrite can be trans... If, now, if the word hypocrite can be translated into a godless person... Well, I ain't gonna finish that. But hypocrite means, you know, wearing a mask. And not just wearing a mask, but there's some full-blown hypocrites who loves to be hypocrites. You see, I came from that kind of, those kind of churches where people are not just, you know, on the surface, a hypocrite. They're, they're deep down hypocrites. So, anyway, don't fret over any hypocrites you encounter. All have to go to Jesus for themselves. 
So don't ever fret about hypocrite. Just do what you have. Just come to Christ in that way. Now, Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15 for the NLT. I, John, this is John talking, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave give up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now there's a couple of things to unravel, but the main thing I want you to get is don't worry about hypocrites because we all have to, all gonna be before God. Well, the saints of God are not gonna be in this great white throne judgment. But if you don't follow Christ and you sin and you stay in sin, because what I say about the hypocr- the congregation of the hypocrites is gonna be desolate. So they can do their own thing, but it's gonna fall apart. So with John sins, both great and small, doesn't matter if you're a celebrity. Doesn't matter if you're a poor person off the street, homeless, whatever. He said he saw them standing up for God's throne. And the books were open, books with an S. There's more than one book than the book of life. There's the book of works, the book of tears, the, um, let me see, the book of remembrance. There's books that's going to be open. And if your name is not in there in the book of life, you go in the lake of fire. That's what it said. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So death and hell and everything is going to go in there. The secret to all these people who died without Christ are going to be before the throne. And more likely their name is not going to be there. So don't fret about hypocrites. Just do what you have to do. You come to love for yourself. The point I'm trying to make here is that Everybody's an individual, and you have to go to God for yourself. If you get saved, you won't be in this judgment. You'll be in a judgment for your works. And let's also, well, I'll do it in the next part, explain about judge, judging. Next one is judgmental. I asked, do you think follows of Christ is judgmental? All right, so we'll go St. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, the NIV. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, excuse me, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Forget there is a time to judge. And I have that Exodus chapter uh, 18. Verses 17 to 26. I'm going to read it. It's a too long step out. Verses 17 to 26. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, replied, what, are you, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you only weigh yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Excuse <clears> me. <throat> Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. 
May God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their dispute to him. Teach them his decrees and his churches and show them the way they ought to live and how they ought to behave. But select capable men for all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonor the gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. They will make you a little lighter because they will share with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So the rest of the time, the judge, he made the judgment. Some um, cases. So now, if a person who says they're born again and all this is judging you, they're in the wrong seat. They don't belong in that seat. That's God's seat. I think most people know that. <clears throat> what I was gonna say about judging is that. A judgment is not necessarily wrath. People always think a judgment is wrath. Judgment is God making a decision. Whether or not he's going to bless you, encourage you, give you a trial, uh, make you go through a test, whatever, whatever the case might be. Judgment is a decision that's being made. Because God can make a decision to give you uh, quite, quite a few blessings. as a judgment call. Judgment doesn't have to be wrath. And also St. John 7.24 says, Stop judging by mere appearance, but instead judge correctly. So when there is a time to judge, a follower of Christ is not always wrong for judging. There is a time to judge. But as far as judging whether or not you're saved or how bad you are and this and that, no, that's not, that's not that place. Okay, next one I said, there was a pastoral after your money. Well, here's what it says about money. It's quite interesting. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 13 to 15 for the NLT. Don't, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought into the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of sacrificial offerings. That's the Old Testament. That's basically the same when offerings are burned into a temple. People who serve the temple, they get part of that offering. They're supposed to get part of it. But now here's no Testament. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Hmm. Yet I, Paul, have never used any of these rights. 
And I'm not writing to this to you su to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. So, like it or not, if we're benefiting from the Word of God, we're supposed to give money. We're supposed to give to it. Supposed to give to the person who's giving it. And most people say, I'm not giving that, that man my money. He's going to spend on his girlfriend. He's going to spend on his wife. He's going to spend on himself. He's going to buy a new car. Yes, I can't argue with you. A lot of people have abused it. And they're taking the money and doing the wrong thing with it. And believe me, they're, they're, they're walking dead. <laughs> they're in trouble. They better stop doing that. However, nevertheless, we are, by this verse, these verses here, we are kind of obligated to give to the church. If we're benefiting from it, if we're getting spiritual food from it, we should be willing to, to give our natural food, our natural money to it. But yet Paul's saying, listen, I didn't, even though that right is there to have it, I don't use it. Preachers should be preaching without charge. You don't charge for the gospel. You lost your mind. All the stuff about honorarium. Ain't no such thing as an honorarium. We made, we made that up. God is going to do something about that. He said he liked to boast about preaching without charge. So even if he did charge, not, I don't say charge, but even if people gave him offerings, and he took it and he needed it, he would take it and he'd still be in his right if he took it. However, he got more pleasure out of preaching without charge. And God will take care of you if you have that mind. Mind, yeah, I'm going to charge people because I want a Mercedes. Man, you out of your mind. Woman, man, woman, whatever you are, you out of your mind. It doesn't work like that. You, you want money? Get a job. Nothing wrong with a preacher having a job. All right. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 3 for the NLT. But now, the, the greedy ones, the greedy people that are after your money, it says that in their greed, they'll make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and the destruction will not be delayed. So even though they seem like they're getting away with a lot, they're just piling up more, more wrath or whatever for themselves, more trouble for themselves. All right, now Bible stories. I said when you hear a Bible story, do you think it's far-fetched? Well, 2 Timothy 2 and 13 from the ASB says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So if you don't believe, if you don't have the faith, he's still God. Whether I believe him or not, whether I believe the stories in the Bible or not, he's still God. And he can't deny who he is. You say, well, there's no God, but he can't deny himself. Just because I don't believe, that doesn't mean he does not exist. I have to get out of that thinking. And you have to get out of thinking. Why am I in that thinking? I know he exists. And also from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 from the complete Jewish Bible says, All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed and is valuable for teaching the truth, convicting of sin, 
correcting faults and training in right living. So all scripture is from God. People always say, oh man wrote the Bible. No man, man may have, have penned it. He may have sat down. It was God's hands and feet and his hands to write it down. But all of it came from God. All of scripture is God breathed. The Holy Spirit moved men by the power of the Holy Ghost and they wrote down what God wanted to say. No man can sit down and write the Bible. If you ever really, really looked at it and read some chapters, you know that man couldn't have did it by himself. Ain't no way. The next one. You think God is a mean, angry, and murderous God? Oh, yeah, he's always killing people in the Bible. Well, do you know why? Why don't you find out why? Why don't you find out how it got to that point in the first place? It's not like they did something wrong and all of a sudden he wiped them out just in two seconds. Right after they did something wrong. No, God's very merciful. Now listen to Psalm 30, verse 5 for the NIV. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. So God's anger only lasts a moment. It may seem like years and years to you, but it's really only a moment. In his favor is life, it lasts a lifetime. He'd rather have life, he'd rather show mercy and compassion than show wrath. The Bible says mercy rejoices against judgment. Rather have mercy than judgment. And to further stretch that out, listen to Lamentations chapter 3, verse 31 to 38 for the NIV. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Get it? I'll say that again. For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he bring grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone, to crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the Most High, to deprive them of justice. Would not the Lord see such things? That's not him. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord does not decree it? It is is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Okay, now let's go back because I want you to get a real good understanding of this. For God is not going to cast off forever. If you turn to Him, if you look to Him, if you say, Lord, I need help, but I need to turn my life around, I know I've sinned against you, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I definitely want to go in the other direction of what anybody says. Teach me how to be bold. Teach me how to live for you. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, help me. Now, even if you do that, at that point, you're required to live holy. In other words, you're required to live separate from the world. You can't be like them. You can't think like them. You have to stay in the Word and keep praying to God. I know people for a long time say, I'll just say this this prayer. You'll be alright. There's nothing wrong with you telling God, admitting to God, your faults and your sins and your attorney, that's good. That put you in the right direction because confession has to come from your mouth. But it doesn't stop there. 
we have to live holy lives. So when people say the sinner's prayer and they go on living the way they've been living, the thing is all right. No, it's not. You represent, what you get saved, you represent Jesus Christ. This line says, though he bring grief, he will show compassion. So he can bring grief. Listen, Jesus, when he was here as a man, the Bible says he was associated with grief. He knew what grief was all about and sorrow. So it's not like God had his son come down here in the flesh and everything was peachy keen, everything was peaches and cream and ice cream and Skittles. No. Jesus went through, he was acquainted with grief and suffering and sorrow. So though he brings grief, he will show compassion. He loves to show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. A lot of other Bibles that made fun, feeling love, they used the word mercy. But this, this gives you more definite definition, unfailing love, which means his love for you is never going to fail. You may say, well, I don't feel anything right now. I, I, the world is so topsy-turvy. Yeah, the world is topsy-turvy. Because it's, it's going to get topsy-turvy. It's going to continue to get topsy-turvy. The prophecies of thousands of years ago are coming to pass now. And they don't seem, they're not going to make any sense because they're so old. They may not make sense to a lot of people, but they make sense to God's prophets and God's saints who are following Him. It makes a whole lot of sense. We know exactly what's going on. Some people may not want to admit it, but it is what it is. There's line. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone to crush underfoot all prisoners in the land, to deny people their rights before the most high, to deprive them of justice, but not the Lord teach such things. He doesn't willingly bring affliction or grief. He doesn't get a kick at seeing people feel sad and, and bad and hurt. Like some people say, oh, he's a murderer of God, he's mean. No, he's not. Did you hear that? He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Not even to the prisoners in the land. He's not trying to deny people their rights before the Most High. And he knows it's before the Most High. So that means what he deemed is right, what he deemed is just, what he, seemed, what he sees is correct. Not, not just the rights of the land, because the rights of the land don't mean nothing to God. Man's wisdom doesn't mean anything to God. So you're right according to his will, according to what he deemed is correct. He's not doing things to deprive them of justice. He wants people to have justice. He loves justice. But not the Lord sees such things. The Lord doesn't want to say all that stuff. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Who can do that? Who can say, okay, this is going to happen tomorrow? This is going to happen next week. If the Lord says, no, it's not, it's not going to happen. And the last part, it is not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come. A lot of people don't believe that. They say, oh, the Lord Lord would never bring calamities. Uh, Yes, he would. He said it right here. And if you also want to reference that, it says that in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5 to 7. 
I might need to read that in case you don't believe me. Just give me a second, enemy. Let me get out of there, out the NASB. And listen to what it says. That's say 45, verses 5 to 7. Come on now. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. In other words, I'll dress you. I'll take care of you, even though you don't know me. That men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. The one forming light, and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. So you want to know where calamity comes from? God's in charge of it. He can bring weights. He's fit now. Why does he bring it? He only brings it because of man's consistent disobedience and consistent sin. And it's all for one reason to get us to come to him. It's not to destroy us. It's not to make us look bad. It's not to wipe us off the planet. It's to direct you and steer you towards the sun. It's to direct us to Jesus Christ so we can have an everlasting life. Because some people are not going to accept Jesus. They're not going to come to God. And God says, well, if you don't come to me, we have to see what happens. And you look at the book of Revelation and you see two things. You see a lot of praising and worshiping God. And you also see the destruction of the earth. That's just the way it is. Like I said, I did something called what is, is. That's just the way it is. So when you show these things coming down on America and on the world, it's because these 3,000 plus year old prophecies are coming to pass. I'll call these maybe 2,000 when Jesus taught about the end, of, the end of time as we know it. Alright, Genesis 18 verse 20 from the NIV. Then the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Now, it really pays to read the whole chapter, the whole 18 chapter of Genesis. You say, well, why does God have to go down? Isn't he everywhere? Doesn't he see everything? In that particular chapter, I'll just shorten it as I can. Three angels came to Sodom where Lot was living. And one of those angels was Jesus incarnate. So he came in the form of a man. Now, when an angel comes down in the form of a man, he's obviously limited because he's on the earth. So, it's possible, I'm not saying that this is true, uh, it's possible that that ain't that Jesus went down as a man physically and walked down to Sodom to see how bad it was. And then he walked, so with him not knowing, he said, like, I'm going to go down there and see what's going on. Maybe he meant as a man, I'm going to go down and take a look 
as a man, see what's going on. Now, that's just me saying that. Okay? But now, God also said this. We say, oh, God's murderers, and then that. Oh, we think God is not merciful? Okay. Also, Genesis 18, verse 26. When he was talking to Abraham, this is what he said for the NIV. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. So he said, if he found 50, he would spare the whole city, even though we're wicked. We're, uh, wicked. He wouldn't destroy the city. So he didn't find 50. Abraham asked about 45. Abraham asked about 30. Abraham asked about 20. Abraham asked about 10. And God obviously didn't even find 10 righteous. Because Simon and Gomorrah got destroyed. So he couldn't even find 10. But the merciful God said, if I find 50, that's what Abraham started off with. Even if I find 50, I won't do it. And then he went all down 10. So God said, even if I find 10, I won't destroy the city. So how could you say God is not merciful? He's done loving. Now, here's one we're really going to say, think God is mean. Isaiah chapter 37, verse 35 and 36 from that be. I, this is God talking. I will defend this city, Jerusalem, and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. See, first part, he said, I'm going to defend the city and save it. That's how much God loves Israel. That's how much God loves you. That he's willing, once you come to him, he's willing to give a bad people to you. And that's also in Isaiah, I think, chapter 43. He's willing to give up bad people for you. If somebody's not doing right and sits on that going the right way, you'd be surprised what God will do. You said, but this angel of the Lord wiped out 185,000 people at one time overnight. That's how much you love. They were the enemy. They wanted to kill. They wanted to take over Israel. They wanted to take over Jerusalem. I was like, no, you're not. And that particular king of the Assyrian army, he defied God. He was battling against him. He said, can't nobody save Israel against against me. You can pray to your God and ask your God, but your God ain't, I'm paraphrasing, your God ain't going to do nothing. He can't do nothing. Can't nobody stand against the Assyrian army. And he's doing all the bragging. Speaking of bragging, let me just throw this in here. Yesterday, my friend sent me something that your that our wonderful president said. Now, remember, I'm apolitical, so I'm not Republican, conservative, liberal, Democrat. Nothing. I hate politics. Period. And when you're for God, you don't have anything to do with politics. You only bring it up to make a point. Anyway, she sent me this thing that said that President Trump said, I've done for more I've done more for Christianity than Jesus. I was like, this man has gone too far. 
He said, I did this, I did this. He tell her, he tell her ah, so I did this, I did that. And me, <clears throat> excuse me, mainly it made me think of a king in the Bible named King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4, Daniel. He kept bragging, saying, I I built this city and I built this and this is my kingdom and I did. And he started doing all this, I, 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 all this bragging. And that night, God took the kingdom from him and he went around for seven years. His hair out in the rain, his hair grew real long. His nails grew like birds' claws. You think he was eating grass, eating straw. Yeah, think he was eating grass. And all this wine for seven years, and the Lord took his mind from him. He was like a madman. And after seven years, the Lord brought him back to his mind and gave him his kingdom back. But that, that I, 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 I did this, I did that. People better not do that, because God hates pride like that. He hates arrogance. He can't stand it. He may not kill you, but you may have to go through something not too pleasant. But even Nebuchadnezzar's case, he brought him back. So he can't tell me God's not loving, God's not merciful. All right, here's Revelation 19, 10b for the NIV. Worship God, but it's the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. And this is what I was saying about what's going on in the world. See, I... People say, well, this is religion, right? No, this has nothing to do with religion. This has to do with prophecy, giving your life to God, because God is building a house, and he wants everybody to come to him. He knows people are not going to come to him now, but he wants everybody to come to him. And the the spirit of prophecy bears testimony of Jesus. So therefore... What Jesus said, that everybody that's out there who calls himself religious, a religious leader, do they have prophecy to back them up? Jesus has prophecy to back him up, and it's coming to pass right now, what he said. So that's what that's what makes it, or should make it, a lot easier to believe in Jesus Christ. It's because what he says happens. A lot of the people just have nice sounding words and they, and they sound nice words, but what's coming at the end? What's come, what's gonna happen? Jesus already laid it out. So what you see happening now, it may not be word for word, but the general idea is laid out for you. One day I'm gonna go over that. Alright. The choice is yours, kinda. Your belief is not going to stop the events God has planned. I said that earlier. If you ever wondered about free will versus a predetermined life, well, here's a few verses that might help. Proverbs 16 and 4 from the NLT. The Lord has made everything of his own purposes, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Proverbs 16 and 9. This is all from chapter 16. Prophet 16 and 9 from NLT. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Proverbs 1633 from NLT. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. 
So, you said, well, I don't understand it. So basically, God is in charge. You have your free will to do what you do on a daily basis. But in the grand scheme of things, God is in charge. Listen, listen to them again. It gives you the impression that God has everything under control. The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Isn't the book of Revelation finished? What's going to happen to the ungodly? That's already there. Since the God going to be around the throne, praising him, that's already there. The next one says we can make our own plans, but the Lord determines our steps. So we can do what we want. But how many times you plan something, you went somewhere, you got stuck in traffic and you got all upset. Oh man, how long am I gonna be stuck in traffic like this? And you find out that there was an accident up there. If you was further up, that might have been you. Or when you 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 can't nothing seems to go right when you wanna leave to go somewhere. You're like, oh I should have been out of this house twenty minutes ago. If you would have been out of the house 20 minutes earlier, you'd be dead. So, you know, thank God for everything. And the last one says, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So see, you may have the free will to do certain things, but God is going to determine them in the long run. The Bible also says, no man can come to Jesus as if the Father draws him. So God has something to do with steering you in the right direction. Now, notwithstanding, there's two roads. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road. And the wide road is very broad and many people go that way, which is the wrong way, following the world. And the narrow road is following the Lord. And he said, few there be that find it, but it's still worth getting on that narrow road. So if you stay on the wrong road, it leads to destruction, it leads to death. You say, but isn't God determining that? Well, if God, if you have a mind to want to change, God will direct you to the narrow road. It's not always about the followers of Christ having to prove anything. Now listen, if you're a highly, you are a highly loved unbelievable at the time right now maybe but now it's your turn to explain what you believe in don't always look for followers of Christ to always explain themselves no it's time for you to explain what you believe in without arguing but your belief system shall why and it should have a what's the ending it should have an ending. Jesus Christ, like I said, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. He tells you what's coming. So, it's your turn. As a person not saved, it's your turn. Because you know, that was long. It was long. But like I said, we're going fishing through the podcast. Stay blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.